Lucy Slide. Hi, good to see you. Uh, my name is uh, Myung-Hwa, uh, Myung-Hwa Choi. <laughs> I'm the executive pastor that travels once a month to preach at Seaside. Uh, I attend the Hillside, uh, the main campus. So it's really good to be down here. Uh, for those who don't know me, this is my hometown. I was born and raised in Busan, and I went to Seoul when I uh, entered college. So this is my city. So welcome to my city. I'm glad that you're residing in this city. I'm hope, I hope that you're blessed. Um, I feel like whenever I come down every month, it's raining here. Does it rain every single Sunday, or is it just whenever I come? See, I bring the rain. Like we sang, let it rain, you know? So enjoy the rain that I'm going to bring, I mean, through the Lord's grace. So I'm really glad that you are here. Um, yeah, I just want to begin uh, with a short time of prayer. So before I even open up the message and tell you about the passage, and I really feel like we need to pray this before we begin. And I want us to just combat and just cancel this lie of the enemy that tells you, I mean, that I've heard this message before. You know, there's this saying that familiarity brings contempt. When you hear it over and over again, like the word grace, something like love, you know, you hear it so many times that it becomes so familiar to you that it makes you think, oh, I've been, I've heard it so many times. All right, I know about that. And then you kind of just zone out. You know, even the music, this new album comes out, Hillsong, you're excited, you listen to it for about a month. It's great whenever you listen to it, it speaks to you, you get excited. But then after like a couple weeks, after a month, no matter how good the song is, you kind of lose that, like how it used to bless you. You guys feel me? You have any song like that? Like, you know, like you sing it so many times that later on, the familiarity, it brings contempt. You know, in that it doesn't bless you in the way, the same way anymore, you know? And I really feel like today, I'm going to speak from, I'm not going to tell you, but I'm going to speak from the word, but I really feel like we have to just come against this lie. And you're not going to treat the word of the Lord with contempt today, just because it sounds familiar. So I want you to just put your hand on your heart and just pray, uh, soften my heart, God. And I know I heard about this. I know, and I know, but there is more depths to it. And I know I've heard it, I know, I know it, but I want to know more. I want that to be our prayer. So I just want us to just come against that. The familiarity that comes with contempt, I want you to just, just combat that. I want you to just cancel that out. Can we do that just for a second? Yeah. Father, we thank you that every single day you give us manna, a fresh manna. And God, you never give us an old one, stale one. You always give us a fresh one. So Father, we come before you with hunger. Come before you with a sincere heart to get to know you better, God. And Father, I just pray over each person that's sitting here that you will break down all the walls. And all the contempt that's been built up because of the familiarity, I just break them right now in Jesus' name. And God, I just release a fresh revelation of this word into every heart. So Father, we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want everyone to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm doing a sermon series on this book. And I spoke the first message uh, at, at Seaside was called Chosen Ones. 
And then uh, afterwards, after my missions trip to Indonesia, I spoke about my testimony and about the later chapter of uh, chapter one. And then this is the third message. So if you are interested, go to I, uh, iTunes. Uh, it's not iTunes store, is it? Is it iPod? I know iTunes. Huh? iTunes? All right, I'm confused right now. <laughs> I'll go to the iTunes store and type up New Philadelphia. 2012, and then you're going to be able to find all the sermons that gets preached from all three campuses. If you're interested, go check it out. Yeah, so chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, really long. But the reason why I had to choose this long passage is because it's, again, one sentence in Greek. If you look at it, Paul is crazy. His writing style, I just don't get it. But he just writes these long sentences and verse 1 to 10. In English, it's like a half the page, right? That's one sentence. And let's try to break down this one sentence, what Apostle Paul is trying to say to the believers in this church of Ephesus. It's really deep. I don't know if you noticed, but if you... Um, Try to like read Old Testament and New Testament like back and forth. You know, when you follow like a Bible reading plan, you get to read like two chapters from Old Testament. The other chapter two is from like a New Testament. I don't know if you felt that before, but Old Testament is so much easier to read fast and digest it. It's because it's all the narratives, it's stories in the Bible. You read about all these people. It's so much easier and actually faster. In the New Testament, you especially come to the epistles, like the letters that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, John wrote, so much deeper. Like going through two chapters of the book of Revelation is going to take you like 30 minutes, you know? And, and you're not going to get much out of it. It's so much more deeper than just the stories and the narratives. Not saying that each, uh, which one's better, but... You guys understand? You read your Bible before, right? <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to try to really break it down and study and jump into what the Apostle Paul is really trying to say. We're going to read the verses 1 to 3 together, and then I'm going to continue from verse 4. So if you are there, say amen. All right, let's read. Oh, I'm going to read verse 1, and then you guys read verse 2, and then all together read verse 3 together. All right, go. And how, uh, no, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins. And together, let's go. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of the mankind. We're going to start right here. So Apostle Paul is describing how we used to be before Christ. You know, we commonly say up in Hillside Campus, my BC days. Like before Christ days, before I met the Lord, before I got saved, you know? In, in joking, oh, in my BC days, whatever, whatever. So it's kind of talking about the believers before they met Christ, before Christ, how it used to be. It says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. All these words, trespass means violation of divine commandments. So God gave us laws and us breaking it is trespass. And sin, it's a little broader than that. It's offenses against God. Anything that displeases him, anything that brings offense to God's heart, it's sin. What's bigger? I, I would say sin is a little bigger than trespass, right? And altogether, in this, we were dead. It continues saying, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. 
And this person, the prince of the power of the air, in one word is who? Satan. It's a common reference to Satan. So he's saying that we were followers of Satan. You know, we say we are followers of Jesus Christ. You know, that means we worship Jesus, right? If he's saying that we are followers of Satan, that meant we were worshiping Satan. You know, you follow Jesus and your, your army of Jesus, your army of God. If you turn it around, what it's saying is you are a follower of Satan. They meant your army of Satan, pretty much. And there's no middle ground here. It's really, really harsh word if you really break it down. Prince of the power of the air, Satan, he dominates his human subject on this earth. And we used to be the followers of Satan, whether we chose it or not, whether we knew it or not. And in this battle, there's no middle ground. There's no innocent civilians that get sacrificed. It's either you are fighting for God or you are fighting for Satan. And this passage is telling us that we used to be followers of Satan. This might be really shocking for you, but it continues. The verse 3 says, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Sons of disobedience. Harsh, right? It's referring to non-believers. So it's a common phrase for non-believers. Sons of disobedience. And um, yesterday at joint prayer meeting in Seoul, Pastor Christian spoke about zeal of the Lord. Zeal. And it's re- it was a really great sermon. So if you're interested, go check it out. You must check it out. It was a really, really great passage. And he was saying that, you know, the word passion Whenever it was used in uh, New Testament, it was always in a negative context. It always meant something bad. Like, you know, common one that we know is, you know, it's better to, for you to get married rather than burning with passion. It means like, like, yeah, you, you know what it means, right? <laughs> you all know it, right? So like burning with passion, like sexual desires, whatever, you know that, okay? So like passion, whenever it was used, it was something negative. In this passage, again, passions of our flesh. It's talking about our sinful desires, you know? And it's funny. You guys know about the passion conference in America? Like it's like an annual conference and Louis Giglio and like Chris Tomlin, they all do it. And I don't know if they know about this. Passion means something negative, you know? Passion conference, 50,000 people gather for that every year. Anyways, just saying. (laughs) I was just thinking they're going to change it to zeal conference or something, you know? Passion is so negative. Anyways, the passage is saying, sons of disobedience, and that spirit is also, was also in you. And flesh and mind. And one thing that I really want to point out is that if you really, when you really break this passage down, what you're going to get is, what, you, what we used to be, it really boils down to Satanism. I know it's shocking, but just hear me out, okay? It's saying that we used to serve our body, serve our will, serve our mind. That's what we are used to. That's all we did, right? And you know what the slogan of Satanism, Church of Satan, their one statement, slogan is, do what thou wilt. That's all that they teach. Like, do whatever you want to do. Do whatever your mind tells you to do. Do whatever your body wants to do. That's their slogan. One thing. That's what Satanists believe. Do whatever you want to do. Kill people. Rob people. Do what thou wilt. And if you really look at the spirit of it, what we used to be is no different than Satanists. Pretty much same thing. That's where we were. In short, we were enemies of God, like the terrible enemies of God. 
It continues, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, according to these verses, yeah, we were followers of Satan, army of Satan, lovers of the world, no different than enemies of God. But what makes it worse is this. If you read these passages again, it says, sons of disobedience. It says sons. And then another part is the children of wrath. So I told you that it's referring to non-believers. It's referring to our old selves. But what's really sad is that by nature, we are still children and sons of God. And think about, I don't know how many parents I got here. But think about it. It's much more uglier when the enemy of yours is someone that's dear to you. Have you thought about that? From God's perspective. Like my own children, like my sons, and they have turned against me and became my worst enemies in this world. I'm not just talking about the coworker that you never had a good relationship with becoming an enemy. You know, like a month ago or something, three weeks ago in Yoido, it's one of the, like a, um, what is it, like office area, and this one crazy coworker, went all crazy and pick up his knife and like stab people on the street like old co-workers and like murdered people like in the middle of the street of Yoido like when everyone else was around like lunch hour you know like things like that happen but like oh why, why am I going into this okay but like think about it like someone that's not important to you like a stranger turning against you becoming your enemy is completely different than someone that's dear to you like your own parents, like your own spouse, like your own children turning against you and becoming your worst enemy ever. Think about the heartbreaking. Think about the agony that God must have felt. My own kids that I created for me, they're turning against me. Sons of disobedience. Children of wrath. What will God think about this or feel about this? a whole new level of betrayer, more than we could ever imagine, you know? So in this state, you all got that we were enemies of God. Like, we hated God. We never loved him. You know, the Bible makes it clear no one wanted him. This is the powerful part, okay? Verse 4. Let's look at your Bibles. Verse 4, it goes, But God, Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And it continues, but I want to stop here right now. And verse 4 starts with what? Two words. But God. Everyone say, but God. Oh, louder than that. But God. This is one of the greatest phrases that you will ever find in the Bible. A lot of Bible scholars actually say that this is the greatest phrase that you will ever find in this book. But God. That's the title of my message, huh? But God. It's true on that. Based on what we just talked about. Based on verses 1 to 3. And God says, but. Paul says, but God. You know, think about just the word but. Like, but. You know, like, your parents or your teachers getting angry at you when you mess up and you do something wrong. You, when you get in trouble, you get called in, right? Your teachers in, like, high school. I don't, none of you really grew up in Korea, so you don't really know the culture here. But when teacher calls you in, you're in great trouble, right? 
come to 교무실, come to the teacher's room, that's like, oh, like you are like shaking with fear and you tremble, right? You walk into the teacher's room and then you stand in front of your homeroom teacher waiting for the sentence to come, you know? What did I do wrong? And what is he going to say? What is she going to say? You're standing there and then your teacher goes, you did this wrong, you lied to me, you skipped the class, you got F on this class, you haven't been studying, your mom called in, blah, 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 all these things. And he goes, but, and that's the moment of hope rising. You know? That's the moment when, yeah, like, yeah, I did all that, but, you know, that's the moment of hope. And here exactly, one to three, we were in such terrible, terrible state. And, and Apostle Paul says, but, and there's hope rising in our heart. But God, oh, let's see what he did. But God, most powerful phrase in the whole book, in the whole world. This is the turning point. And as we read, we get to realize how hopeless we were, how miserable we were, how utterly lost we were in this world. And following this dude called Satan, not even knowing about it, you know, really just living in sin. And Apostle Paul picks us up, but God, and let's see what he really did. He's talking about, to summarize all the verses, talking about salvation that came as a gift of God. Like I said, don't let the familiarity fool you. This isn't a, a, a light statement. This isn't anything to skip over when you read your Bible for devotion. Salvation came as a gift of God. Really going to break this down. But, you know, being, um, and I'm going to just continue to read. After, the, after that part, he says this. Being, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And it's interesting, but God, and he describes the character of God. Apostle Paul is bringing out the truth that salvation was never initiated by us. We never initiated it. Some, sometimes we think, I cried out and God answered. I mean, in, in one sense, that's true, but it's really not true. You know, we didn't really contribute to our salvation. It's like his mercy and love is the base and starting point of this salvation. He's... He's saying that God initiated it. You didn't. It didn't start from us or within us. It started with God's character, his mercy, and his love. Hi, or bye. <laughs> you know, his mercy and love, his character, it started with that. There was an initiation of the salvation, right? And then Paul reemphasizes this point at the end. Like verse 8 to 9, it says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And it's interesting. This, it says, and this is not your own, but it is the gift of God. Here, this word this, the pronoun, right? All the English teachers are following me, right? Pronoun this. It, uh, in Greek, Greek has crazy grammar system, and each noun actually has a gender. So it's either a masculine noun or feminine noun, right? So it's interesting. So you cannot name a boy with a feminine noun and all that. You know, they're a gender, you know? And then the Greek, uh, if you look at the great Greek grammar, it says, this is neuter. So it's not masculine or feminine, right? So it's not referring to grace or faith because grace and faith, both of them are actually feminine nouns. So it's not referring to grace or faith. It's actually referring to 
the whole thing, salvation by grace through faith. The whole thing, uh, the, this, noun, this, this pronoun, this is referring to that. So what? This is what? I'm confused. Salvation by grace through faith. The whole phrase. And the equals to what? The gift of God. You see that? So even faith, we sometimes think that faith came from our own heart. Completely wrong. Faith is a gift from God as well. Faith came from him. He's the author of faith. Right? Sometimes we think, oh, faith came from my own heart, my own righteousness. Heck no. Not true. Oh, oops. No. <laughs> not true. But it's a gift of God. Grace, yeah, came from God. Faith also came from God. The whole thing came from God. It's not your own doing at all. It's getting exciting. It continues. I'm trying to convince you that it's getting exciting. It is. It says, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It looks like he's repeating and repeating, but it really isn't it. You know, he has his point. And think about that. He really emphasized that we were dead. You guys get that? We were not dying. We were dead, right? We were dead. And then what we needed at this point was being born again. Being made alive again, right? That's exactly what we needed. We needed a new birth. Not just a little intervention and helping us, but we were completely dead and we needed the new birth. We had to be born again. And this is the crazy part. And it, may, it tells us that he made us alive again. And then verse 6, I love this verse. Memorize this verse. Verse 6, it goes like this. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, yeah, praise God that he intervened. I mean, he praise God that he saved you, but he wasn't done with it. He's not okay with just bringing you to the place of being okay or getting by, but he pulled you out of death and pushed you up to the heavenly place, seated with Christ. You know, you ever wonder, um, if, especially when you read through the um, Gospel of Matthew, it tells us, to, tells us to do ridiculous things. Like, if someone, like, hits you on the face, like, turn the other cheek. You know, and I read that, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not sure about that yet. I'm working on it, God. <laughs> you know, I'm working on it. Oh, my progress, you know. But, like, he tells us to do ridiculous things. Like, he, he says, love your enemy. And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm trying. But the reason why Jesus could say it with such confidence is because he already demonstrated it to us. Remember? In our own, very own salvation, you were an enemy of God. And he's saying, love your enemy because when you are an enemy to me, I love you. You have all the right to say that. And you know this part, I don't remember if you remember, but if someone asks you to walk a mile with you, go with that person, go walk another mile. Like, if it's, like, a, someone that you like, fine. Walk, like, three miles with that person. But if, what if it's someone that you don't want to walk with? I don't want to really talk to you, you know? What if it's, like, someone really awkward? Someone that you don't like, you know? I don't want to walk with you, you know? But it's talking about, like, go another mile with that person. But this also, you see it in your salvation. Like, when you were dead, God raised you up, brought you back to life, and he took it to really another mile. 
Think about that. He raised you to the place of life and pushed you up to the heavenly place. Don't you think that's taking like another mile? I mean, a thousand more miles than we, what we really like could even imagine. You know, what kind of God does that? There's no other religion in this world that does that. Bring us to the place where he is. No other religion. Study it. I took a class on it. No other religion will do that. They could intervene, but they never pull us up to the place where God is. But our God, he does that. He took us to a thousand more miles. That's why he says, go walk another mile. That's exactly what I showed you, what I did to you. You know, interesting. And too many times, I want you to really get this. We think that we have freedom to step down from the place of heavenly places. And so often, we step down. We disqualify ourselves. And we walk down from that heavenly place and be somewhere else. But this is a point that I really want you to get it. He made you sit there. It's an equal place with Jesus. You are co-heirs. You are seated with him in the heavenly place side by side. That's crazy. That's a place of power, authority, intimacy, that more than you could ever imagine. That's a crazy place of honor. And you are seated with him next to, like side by side, right next to him, like Nina and Caleb sitting right there, like side by side. You are seated like that. And get this, he made you sit there. So you have no say in, I don't want to sit here, I want to go down. You can't do that. And I find people doing that too many times. Like, oh, I don't deserve to be here. Who am I to be here? Who am I to say something? Who am I to make all these changes? Who am I? Who am I? Let me just go down. That's more comfortable. But you cannot disqualify yourself from the seat. God made you sit there. That's your seat. That's where you belong. So many times we forfeit our authorities. Knowing in our heads that I have authority to stop this, to release this, in my prayer, in your mind, you know that you have authority, but in our daily life, we forfeit it too many times. We disqualify ourselves too often. We forget that God made us really sit here. And I realized that because we didn't make it up there, because we didn't earn it up there, like we can never lose the seat. It's labeled with your name. Like, this is seat for Trevor. This is seat for Brienne. Like, this is your seat. And when you're not there, it's going to be empty. Not, no one's going to replace that seat, you know? And so many times you're thinking, no, someone else will do it. Someone else will take authority and do something about it. Like, when you leave that place of authority, believing that oh, maybe someone else will sit here, but no, that seat's going to be empty because it has your name on it. And God made you sit there. You know, have you ever been to like a birthday party that, that's kind of big? Like the culture, I don't know what kind of birthday party culture the seaside is building. But up in uh, Hillside where I am, the birthday parties are kind of like someone creates Facebook event. Invite about 15 to 20 popular people, like 30 friends. And then get all the RSVPs. And then you show up to this nice restaurant that's already reserved. And then you sit, eat dinner, bring out the cake, present the gifts. Say goodbye and go home. That's like our culture there, okay? So just follow with me. And two years ago, it was my birthday, and I organized my own birthday. I'm cool like that. 
<laughs> so I invited all these friends, you know, all these people confirmed to come. So I you know, rented out this Italian restaurant. So I went. I went pretty early. There were like a handful of people that were already there. Oh, happy birthday. And I was wearing my, you know, my birthday dress. I was so happy. I sat down in the middle of the table. And then people started coming in one by one. It's so interesting. No one wanted to sit next to me or in front of me. Have you ever seen such phenomena? Is that just my issue? I don't know. Never thought about it that way. But then no one would sit around me and I would start filling up the table from the corner. Or is that my issue? <laughs> is that the revelation that I'm giving right now? Anyways, just to finish that, it was because, I think it's because, I think, <laughs> it's because people are afraid. People are, that's, those seats are reserved for like real, really, really close friends. That's for like spouse, best friend, and like a birthday party organizer. You know, like those people, key people. And people assume that, oh, that seat is not for me. And they start filling it up from the corner. You guys really feel me? And I realized that uh, uh, Pastor Christian's birthday came, around, came along. And I was, I was sitting and everyone filled up the seats. And then Pastor Christian came in. Oh, it's my birthday. He came in. And he sat down right in front of me. And immediately, without even thinking much, I stood up, grabbed my stuff, and I moved to the corner, right? And Pastor Erin looked at me, and she was like, the wife, she's like, what are you doing? Like the loudest, what are you doing in silence ever? Like, what are you doing? Like, I immediately thought, oh my, what am I doing? Like, immediately I thought that was reserved for someone that's more important to him. You feel me? So I really feel like I didn't deserve that place, like facing him. It's so, it's, it's for someone that's more important, you know, and I just excused myself and then moved to another seat. And then Pastor Aaron, like, come back, like, come back, come back, like, with that crazy, like, chin motion, you know, I picked up my stuff again, <laughs> I sat back down, and then I enjoyed the birthday dinner with him, right? And it's, I think it's kind of like that past, like that, I know it's a silly illustration, but sometimes we feel like we don't deserve to sit next to Jesus. Sometimes, especially after you make some mistakes, after you let go of some God-given opportunities to make difference, you know, when you feel like you are in a less place, when you skip, like, quiet time for months, I don't know, in those places, sometimes you don't feel like you deserve to sit right next to him. And let me tell you this. God made you sit there. Like Pastor Aaron did to me. You, you sit there and you don't move. It's your seat. And only person that could move you from the seat is yourself. Only person that could disqualify you from the place is yourself. Like I did. No one's going to say anything. You deserve to sit there. God told you so. So sit there and don't move. Don't come down. Your chair is labeled with your name already. So many chairs are empty right now in heaven. So many Christians. So many chairs are lined up. And like angels are wondering, where are they? Did they all go to the bathroom? Like what? Is there food poisoning in heaven? No. Like no one. Like why? Where are they? Why aren't they taking their authority? Why aren't they moving in the God-given power? Why aren't they in the place of government with Jesus? It's already yours. Sit down. Come back. You cannot remove yourself from the place. Amen? Turn to your neighbor. Don't move. Sit there. With authority. Authority. Don't move. <laughs> awesome.
We're going to continue. Verse 7. Crazy. It's powerful. It says this. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. So this verse simply tells us that God's grace is immeasurable. It's never ending. It's crazy big, right? I mean, the saving grace that brought us from death to life. Yeah, that's amazing grace, right? And the grace, the same grace that pulled us up to the heavenly places, sitting with Jesus Christ. That's amazing grace, right? But there's more. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying it didn't end there. Oh, yeah, praise the Lord that I'm saved and I go to heaven. It didn't end there. He's saying so that it's a purpose. It's describing in the coming ages or your tomorrow, it's so that you will know that there is immeasurable reach of his grace in your daily life. That's what he's speaking. There is more but God moments in your life. It just didn't hap- it, it didn't just happen once in your life. And oh, thank you, Lord, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. And whatever you walk away from that, no, that same grace is immeasurably available in your life. And I'm here to say you gotta claim those but God moments in your life. There are more in your life. Let me tell you that. So many more. Your salvation isn't it. That's just the beginning. You just tipped into the tipped into tapped into the tip of the iceberg of the grace, immeasurable grace. If you really understand this, you're gonna say, but God every day. In situations that seem impossible, situations that's difficult, you're gonna say, but God, but God, but God, you're gonna continue to say that in your daily life. You know what we are so good at saying? We are so good at this, all of us. But I, we're so good at it. But I, I know God has amazing plans and blah, 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 blah. But I just am not ready. But I just don't know. But I don't speak good English. But I don't speak good Korean. I don't know. We are so good at saying, but I, sentences. It's just, it's, it, it isn't just about us. All these biblical characters did the same thing. Think about Moses in like the burning bush. You know, God tells you, I'm calling you to deliver Israelites and all that good things. And Moses said, but I don't know. You know, he's scared. He, he goes with this, but I sentence, but who am I? Who am I? Jeremiah, the prophet, the mighty prophet. And when God calls him, he says, but, but I don't know how to speak. And if you read through the whole book of Jeremiah, he's a really good speaker. It's crazy, right? And God promised that I will put the words upon your mouth so that we will speak. And God kept his words, you know? It wasn't even a problem, you know? But I, like when I first become a pastor, same thing. My excuse was, but I, I don't know if I can speak in front of people, especially in English. God, I could do it in Korean, but I don't know if I could do it. But I, but I, but I, but I, but God is shut up. But God, I'm choosing you. It's not only about our callings and these big things, but but God, it has to happen every single day. We got to replace all our but eyes into but God. I mean, I'm not telling you to be in denial. That's not a smart thing to do. Don't deny your situation, but I'm not telling you to turn blind eye to what's going on around you. It's okay to 
I know it sounds really weird, but it's okay to vent to God. It's better actually to vent to God than to your friends. Your friends will be really tired, right? <laughs> but it's okay, because if you look at all these Psalms, if you read them through, King David is so good at venting, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, these enemies encamps around me, and this is happening, these enemies after me, like blah, 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 God, it's so hard. And he's honest with the Lord, and God delights in that. They cry. But you know what he does? He says, this, 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 this. God, enemies, and blah, blah. And at the end, he knows how to say, but God, you are my salvation. But God, you are faithful. But God, you have great plans. You are the rock. He knows how to end it with, but God. You could start with, but I. Ended with but God and believe that. We face difficulties, impossibilities, frustrations, and all that. But when we know that there's a turning point when we declare, but God, there's real power. And um, I was sharing with some of the Seaside members last time I visited. At the C. Roberts bus. And I was sharing about my mom's story. And my mom is not a believer. I'm the only Christian in my family. And I was just telling them about how my mom's heart is really opening up to the gospel. And I was just telling them, I'm so excited. My mom's coming to Seoul soon. And she actually came. I was just talking to her. And uh, what I realized is my mom's heart is so open. Like she's so ready to just receive it and she really wants to support me in ministry, not even knowing what ministry means, but like she said, she wants to be a prayer supporter for me. She doesn't even know what prayer means, by the way, right? But her heart is just so like going ahead of her, you know? So God's obviously moving in her so powerfully. And then what I realized is that my dad, who is so loving and so kind, and I, whom I love so dearly, my dad is just amazing. Uh, but my dad, I realized, was opposing my mom, like, hardcore. He was, he, he's not a man to say stuff like this, but I really think that he's under a lot of demonic oppression. He said things like, like, if you want to go to church, divorce me first. You know, you can tell it's, it's enemy, right? You can go to church after I die, and then slam the door, kind of things. You know, my dad is not a person to do that. But, like, hearing all those things... Facing crazy opposition, and my mom's so torn, you know, because I'm trying to pull her to church, and my dad is like pulling her back, and she's like so torn in between, you know. And I never expected this kind of situation, so I was just thinking, what, what is going on? I thought this was gonna be easy. I thought my dad will come around first. What in the world is going on? And I was on the verge of frustration. Didn't you promise that you will bring them in? And I was so tired because you know i've been praying for them over seven years crying out for them for seven years like what is going on and god was reminding me Yunga, remember and i i i finally got to say but god you are the promise keeper and i was finally was re- able to release that to him but god you are faithful to me you never failed keeping your promises but god you are powerful But God, you are the one that opens up hearts and souls. But God, you are the one that loves my parents more than I do. But God, you are God. When I was reminding myself 
declaring my blood God, I realized, man, I should do this all the time. Every day, in every situation. But God is my rock. God is awesome. You know, I think that's it. I want us to just take some time to pray. I really feel like this message went into your hearts. Every single person, you're grabbing hold of this message. And I want us to just, um, give me some music. Take a short time of prayer. Maybe in your life, there are things that's seemingly going just wrong. And that's just stuck. Frustrations and stress and anxiety and all kinds of different things going on in your life. I want you to just lift to the Lord. And not only just bend to Him and tell Him about all these bad things, but I want you to be honest with Him at the end. I want you to just declare, but God, you are faithful. But God, you are powerful. And and, and trust me, this is how, how this works. Like, we just saw that, we just studied that. The grace is a grace that takes a step further, like a thousand steps further than what we think it will be. And I really feel like this book, God decla- declaration that you are making right now, it's going to take you to a step further. So if you've been just asking God to deliver you from a problem, from just this trouble, I want you to be bold about it. And when you declare this, like God rescued you from the trouble and pulled you up to the higher place, like don't just ask it to be okay. Just getting by. Just deliver me from this problem, that problem, but ask God to push you up to a greater place. I mean, that's the promise that we have. He will turn everything for our good. Everyone, good. It's not just okay, but He will turn everything for our good. And that's, I believe, another step forward than just being okay. I want you to just declare, but God, you will take me to the good place. You will take it, turn it, not only into, I'm just okay, but you are going to turn it into, I'm crazily blessed. I'm amazed by you right now. I want you to just declare that. Open up your mouth, people. Declare these words over your life right now. Any area of frustration, you just give it to Him. You just speak it out. But God, you are faithful.